we've been doing the at the movies, you've seen a, uh, a video intro with big, oh God, all kinds of stuff going on. And then it shows a video of either what I'm going to talk about, the movie that I'm going to talk about. But today, I chose to do something different. And that something different is just show you a picture of the world. And the reason why I wanted to show you a picture of the world, because if you were on a spaceship and you get to see this in real life, and you're looking down on it, doesn't that world look peaceful and serene? Doesn't it just have a nice appeal to it, but the closer you get to it, the more you get into it, you begin to realize that that's not exactly what the world's like, and the closer you get to it, the crazier and crazier that it gets. This week has been a difficult week. It's been a difficult week for our country. It's been a difficult week for uh, individuals that uh, make up our country, and I'm one of those individuals. It's been a difficult week for me to see the things that take place, uh, to, to see the news and the, the hatred and the anger and the corruption and, and all of the things that are tied into what took place this week from, from police shootings to police getting shot to, to the, all of the everything with the, the, the Clinton stuff. All, so much stuff is going on. We just look at it and, I, and my heart broke. My heart broke for our current state of our country, but it broke even more so for my kids 20 years from now, because this week is going to be a week that will determine and will change the course of their future. And I saw it play itself out, and I'm praying that, that our leadership steps up and actually leads and takes us in the direction that God has called us to go, and, and I'm hoping that that comes out, because, you know, as we look at it, and uh, I, I want to let you know that, that my job here is not to stand up here and say, all right, this is what is wrong, this is what is right, this is how we need to do it, but my job here is today is to move you closer to Jesus to move myself closer to Jesus. See, I am a messed up person. I'm not sure if you're aware of that or not, but I am a very messed up person. And being a messed up person, I get to have the opportunity to lead messed up people. And I am leading messed up people closer to the one person who's ever lived that never messed up. And that is my job, that is what I am called to do, that is why we are here, that is why we exist. And the thing is, is it's not about me, it's not about my agenda, it's not about the words that I want to speak, it's not about your agenda or what you want to hear. What it really is all about, the reason why we gather together, the reason why we live, the reason why we breathe, the reason why we, we exist on the planet, the reason why we're sitting here in this little building right now, is all for God's glory. And we have to hold on to that, and we have to understand that, and we have to begin to see that, because that is when the world begins to change. That is when our perspective begins to change. That is when we begin to see what God wants us to see. And I see it play itself out, and, you know, the reason why we are born, the reason why we live, the reason why we die, it isn't about us. It's all about Him. And we see it play itself out in, in our lives. But the problem is, is from the very beginning, that was what God had created us for. But also, just after the very beginning, man got confused and started thinking it was about him. And woman got confused and started thinking it was about her. And every day since then, we struggle with it. Whether you go to church on a regular basis, if you're in your word on a regular basis, or you've never been to church, we struggle with this world being about us. I'm thinking somehow, some way, it all revolves around us. And let me tell you, everything that's going on in the news, everything that's going on in our culture, it's because we have forgotten what it's all about. 
And the church hasn't done a good job at displaying what it's supposed to be all about. And I see it, and I feel it, and I think, you know, uh, we are moving forward. And, and today's movie, as we talk about it, has very much to do with the same thing. Today's movie was supposed to be, if you open up this door right here in the back, I wrote all the movies out for the whole summer back in, back in March, and said, these are the movies we're going to talk about, these are the days we're going to talk about, and today was supposed to be Independence Day, but I heard it was a flop, I never saw it, and so uh, instead, I decided to change it. In the process of changing it, I went to, I went to a movie with uh, Christy on Wednesday night called Me Before You. And it's a, it's a movie I'd never even heard about before. Stephen Bonner, who was up here playing the bass, said, hey, when you talk about that movie, let me know, because there's some things, and I, what, what, what movie is that? What, what, never even heard of it before, you know? And I, apparently it's a book, I don't read. But the, uh, the thing is, is that it was, a, it was a movie that's all about life. It's all about choice. It's all about the, the choice of what is life worth? When is life worth living and when is it not? And it was one of those ones that I thought was pretty good. I didn't particularly like the decisions that were made in it and some of the conversation that was in it, but I thought it was great as a conversation starter. Because after we went and saw the movie on Wednesday night, we got in the car and we're driving back, and as we were driving back, it was just one of those ones that there were just so many questions of what if. What if we were in that situation? What if? You know, how does that play out? I've never been paralyzed. I'll give you just a quick synopsis of the movie. Um, and in that, I'm not going to spoil it for you. But what happens is at the beginning of the movie, you have a, a, a rich, young businessman who comes from a rich family already. He has everything that he could possibly want, everything that he thinks he could possibly need. And he's in a hurry. He steps out in the street and he gets hit by a motorcycle. And in the process of getting hit by a motorcycle, is paralyzed from the neck down. The rest of the movie is him deciding whether or not life is worth living as a paralytic. And it's, it's very deep, and it's got some great questions and some great discussions in it. And this caretaker comes into his life, this, this younger girl, and she is trying to encourage him to live. And he's battling with the feelings. And like I said, it's nothing that I have ever had to, to really battle with in the sense that he is battling with it. So how do you come to the answer of the question, what is life? What is life worth? What is it all about? What gives it value? How do you know who's the one that's in charge of taking it and giving it? What is it all about? And it's a question that, that, that is heavy into our hearts and heavy into our minds. And if you know anything about me, I'm not a guy who is oozing with compassion. I'm not a guy who's going to cry in a movie like that. So what I did is I wanted to make sure as we approach this movie and as we approach even the things that are going on this week, because really I believe everything that was going on this week and everything in this movie really tie together with what is life. What is it worth? Who gives it value? If you go online and type in what is the value of life in Google, do you realize it'll give you a breakdown of different websites? One of them will actually break down your chemical element makeup, and it'll break down that you are worth about $3.50 of all the chemical element breakdown that you have. Others will break down your organs, and if you were to donate them, how much they're worth. Other them is break down from the idea of your insurance, and a lot of you guys are worth, dead, uh, worth more dead than you are alive. And it breaks all those kind of things, and who gives the value? And what is it about? And we see it play itself, like I said, in culture. We see it play itself out in this movie. And so what I did is I actually wrote out something that I wanted to share, and I want to make sure I get it right, so I'm just going to read it to you. But I put this. I think it's the most important. 
for us to have compassion for people who've had to struggle in their own lives with real cases of life or death. Most of us in the course of a lifetime will be confronted in our own families with really difficult choices on matters of life and death. No matter the situation, it's not easy to make the right decision, especially when our right is skewed by our view of the truth. Maybe you've had to make a decision about life, about death, about really anything now that seems to be a political hotbed of division. The talk of life, the talk of death, the talk of choice is throughout this movie and it's also throughout our country and our world. Maybe you're afraid that this message is here to condemn your choices that you've made in the past. And I want to say this again. I am not here to condemn. I'm not here to push my agenda. I'm here to bring you closer to Jesus and I'm here to walk closer to Jesus with you. That is why we are here and that's what we do. See, I am fully aware of the statistics of how many abortions take place in a day. I'm fully aware of the statistics that when euthanasia, by the way, if you don't know what that is, it's not about little kids in China. It's about uh, assisted suicide. I know, because I'm glad some of you guys got that. I'm just trying to lighten the mood a little bit. Um, Euthanasia and assisted suicide is a big deal. Something just passed in California. Our Supreme Court here in New Mexico actually voted seven to nothing to say that it's against the law, which I'm, I'm grateful for. But in California and Oregon, it's not against the law. And, and people have to make these choices. When it became a, a nationwide law in the Netherlands, over 11,000 people in the first year went to the Netherlands to have their lives taken. That's a crushing number. And we look at that and we say, well, how do we get to that point? I realize the statistics. I realize that even within the church, these are real things. Do you realize that one in every eight women in the church has had an abortion? And you think about the vocalness of the choice, or the, the vocalness of the church about that choice. Many times we're saying, wrong, wrong, wrong. And those women come in, and they're sitting in, in guilt, and they're sitting in shame, and nobody's coming alongside them to help them understand that just like me, when I was younger, and when I was just yesterday, made decisions that were wrong, 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 that Jesus died for those. And he died for my sins, and he gave me forgiveness. And, and that's the exact same thing we need to communicate. Instead of communicating all the things that are wrong, instead communicate we need to be moving closer to Jesus. We need to see life through a different lens. And we see it play out, so I'm aware of that. And as we become aware of that, what we have to do is we have to open our eyes to who Jesus is. And as we move closer to him, we start to realize that it's less about us and more about him. That has to be the beginning of our thinking. See, this life, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all about him. It's not about me. It's not about what I want. It's not about all of my desires. It's about what he wants and his desires. That is why Jerome, when he put the songs together this week, it was really funny because he came to me and said, hey, I'm going to sing about how we're gods. And I went, gods like G-O-D-S or gods as in like G-O-D apostrophe S? I said, because if you're doing G-O-D-S, it's probably going to go a little conflictional get what I actually want to talk about this Sunday. He's like, no, no, it's, we are his. We are God's. And that's why we can sing songs like, take my life and let it be all for you and for your glory. That's how we can say, I lay me down. I'm not my own. I am yours and yours alone. And as we see that, what can we do to take it from being words on a screen that come out of our mouth to words that come from our heart, a true prayer that says, God, I am yours? How do we do that? How does it start? The questions of what is life? What is it all about? What's the value? Who gets to decide when it's over? Those questions have been answered or asked, I'm sorry, for thousands of years. 
You go to the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon, wisest man that's ever lived, said, I'm going to put this to the test. He had all the money, all the riches, all the women, all the stuff, the best job, all the success you could possibly have. In the book of Ecclesiastes, for the first, what, eight chapters of it, it talks about all that stuff, and you know what he says it is? Meaningless. Chasing after the wind. Vanity. Those are the words that he uses. But the very last verse of the very last chapter, he comes to a conclusion, and that conclusion is found in verse 12, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 13. It says, the conclusion when all has been heard is this, fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every man, to every person. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's what we're called to do. It's not about us. It's about him. He figured that out thousands of years ago, and yet we still struggle with it on a daily basis. We still struggle to say, well, somehow, some way, it's got to be about me. I have to have my life, my liberty, and my pursuit of happiness. We think that whole idea, that idea of, of pursuit of happiness is, is what we have to do. You know why they call it the pursuit of happiness? Because you can never get it. You never attain it. There's no point in your life I've like, I've reached happiness. Yeah, you're dead. That's when you've done it. You've met Jesus. Happiness is there because it's constantly a pursuit that we're after. And the funny thing is, I'm not even sure if the, the movie meant to make the point, but it does. Because throughout, it shows the video of, of the guy, and he wants to be back to what he was. He wants to be the guy who was cliff jumping. He wants to be the guy who was water skiing. He wants to be the guy that was wakeboarding. He wants to be the guy that was snow skiing and riding motorcycles and doing all the fun things in life that were making him happy. But now he has no happiness because those things are gone. Because those things are temporary. Those things are chasing after the wind. And that's where the struggle comes in. And that pursuit of happiness is a constant pursuit until we die. See, I've heard it said before, it's not death that most people are afraid of. It's coming to the life or the end of your life and realize that you never really lived. When you pause and think about that, what is life? What is full life? What is living? William Wallace, Braveheart, one of my favorite movies of all time. One of the quotes that isn't on the wall but probably should be by the end of this week. What does it say? Every man dies, but. Not every man really lives. How do we live? How do we take those steps? See, we're not just created to live and to work and hopefully have fun on the weekends and then die. There's got to be more to life than that. What is it that breaks us? What is it? See, we were created to live for God. It is about Him. We have a purpose. That purpose is found in Him. We are to live life on purpose. Whether you are one or a hundred one, whether you're pre-born or you're on your deathbed, we have a purpose in this life. And that is to glorify God. That is to lift him up because everything else is vanity. You either pursue God or you pursue the wind. Which one is going to accomplish anything? And that is our question that we have to answer. That is our question when we look and take time to embrace who we are, to embrace the season of life we are in. See, the question that the guy had was, is I can't do it. I am not able. You might not be physically able, but there's so much more to that. And we look at our own lives 
where your spiritual condition is, where your mental condition is, where your emotional condition is, where your physical condition is. Where are you? Because God can use you in that season of your life. Embrace that season. Be used. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you're not dead, you're not done. God can use you wherever you are, in whatever situation you're in, whether it be the good one that you think you're happy or the one that's not so good and you don't think you're happy. He can use you there. And he will glorify himself in the process. But how do we get to that place? How do we get to the point where we can say, there's a struggle that is in my life. How can I be used? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he talks about it. Paul talks about the fact that we can be used toward the glory of God and to help others in the process. How do we get to that point, though? How do we take what, what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, when he says to live as Christ and to die as gain? How do we get to that win-win situation where we're cool with that? How do we get to the point in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 when he says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price. When do we come to that realization? When do we come to the point when John says in John chapter 3 verse 30, he must increase and I must decrease. When do we get to that point? What is it that happens inside of us that changes it? You know, the funny thing about the movie is that there's some great points that are made, but it's coming from a guy who wants to end his life. And he says this in one of them, you only get one life. It's actually your duty to live it as fully as possible. I said, yeah, listen to your own advice. As a matter of fact, she, he's sitting at one point in time, and he's talking to the caretaker's dad. And the dad says, you're an investment banker. Why aren't you still doing it? Your mind is still sharp. And in his own head, it was the fact that I can't use my arms and my legs, so that is what's defeating me. Use your life, and it's your duty to live it as fully as possible. The problem is, is they were living for the wrong thing. See, that pursuit of happiness, it wasn't full happiness because I didn't have everything. Since when is there strings attached to living a full life? I can only live a full life if. No, we can live a full life if we're living it for God. We have to embrace that season. You know, we have a hard time with that, though. We struggle with the idea of taking these steps. We struggle with the idea of moving in this direction. And the thing is, is um, without struggle, there really isn't success. Can you tell me anybody who has been successful without struggling up to that point? You know, if there's a God that we worship, it is the God of comfort. It's the God that says there is no pain. And when we have that, we don't want the pain. We don't want the struggle. That's why we use other little gods to mask it. We use the God of entertainment. We use the God of alcohol. We use the God of drugs. We use the God, all these different things we tie into our lives to say, I have to have comfort because I can't have pain. But we all know each and every single one of those things is temporary. And that there is a God out there, and he's walking with us. But we struggle. And as we struggle, we struggle with the criticism that might come. We struggle with the measuring up that might come. We struggle with comparisons. Do you realize that this week, they actually diagnosed a new OCD? And that OCD is not obsessive-compulsive disorder, but it's obsessive-comparison disorder. Because we're constantly comparing ourselves. You know what the main culprit that drives that? Social media. 
Because we look at social media, we see the highlight of everybody else's life, and we compare our boring lives with it, and we say, I have to have. And we struggle with that inside, thinking that somehow that's what's going to make us happy, instead of realizing that our lives are not our own. And we're constantly battling with that. And we constantly battle, and we, in that comparison, we say, God, why? Why am I not as cool as Matt? Those are things that we struggle with. And I understand that. But let me tell you, live in my house for two minutes, and you'll understand, I'm, I got it, I'm okay now, I'm good. You know, that will give you a comparison. But, you know, we live these lives that we're saying, God, why? Why, why did you put me in this situation? Why did you do this to me? Why is my, why is this? And we ask all these things. But one of my favorite books of all time is Crazy Love by Francis Chan. And he says this, can you worship a God who isn't obligated to explain his actions to you? Could it be your arrogance that makes you think God owes you an explanation? That's a gut check. Because God doesn't owe me anything. I need to understand that God is in control and that I just need to live my life to glorify him. And whatever that life might look like, it's what comes from it, what he uses me in. And, you know, I I think, how can I possibly get to that point? How can I have that mindset change? How can I get there? Well, it's amazing. We've been talking for the last couple of weeks and touching on Romans chapter 12. And in Romans chapter 12, it's, it's this uh, pattern that takes place. It's, it's steps that take place on how we get to the point where we cannot live for ourselves. And it starts in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and it goes all the way through verse 21. So what I'd love for you to do is open up your Bibles today to Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to be reading a different version than what I normally do. Normally I'm reading out of the ESV, but today I'm going to read out of the message version, which is a paraphrased version for guys like me to be able to understand just a little bit better. And as we read through that, you can find it, you can follow along up here on the screen, it'll be up there, or you can... um, Follow along on your version live events that's on your phone or your tablet there. But as we dive into it, I want you to see the steps that take place in order for us to understand how we have a new mindset and a new way of viewing life. Here it is, starting in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. It says this, So here is what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life. And place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize that he wa- what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to his level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So we see this process begin, and the process first starts with surrender. It says to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, to make our everyday, ordinary, boring lives, but still take it and lay it at God's feet, to lay it Right there is an offering, and that offering will open up our minds, and in that process, a renewal will take place. We'll have a renewal of thought. We'll have a renewal of vision. We'll see life differently. He's going to transform our minds instead of conform us to the way the world is. And I see that, and I think to myself, you know, that's exactly it. Because we can come to church for an hour, and we can hear a message that says, I need to think about God. And then as soon as we leave here, we are bombarded with every other message that it's about you. 
Because every advertisement that's on the TV, every advertisement that's on the radio, every advertisement that is out there on billboards and whatnot are going to say, it's about God. You need to lift. No, it's not. It's not. It's about you. Everything's about you. And we have to break that. So it starts with us offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. And guess what? It happens every day. It's a struggle that I have every day. It's a struggle that you have every day. We need to offer our bodies as living sacrifices and allow him to renew us. And that leads to this in verse 3. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then, as every one of you does, in pure grace, it's important that you do not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. I like the ESV version that says, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. It's not about you. It's about God and what he's done. As a matter of fact, it says, no, God brings it all to you. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Verse 4, in this way, we are like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets a meaning from the body as a whole. Not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and our function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or a cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much. Ever seen a chopped off finger laying on the ground? Is it doing a whole, whole lot? No, but it does a whole lot when it's attached, right? When it's a part of the body serving the function that God has given it, it does what it needs to do. He says, you wouldn't amount to much, would we? So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioned parts of Christ's body, let us just go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully or OCD comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. If you preach, just preach God's message. Nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you do not get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with a disadvantage, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. See, we have this idea of laying ourselves down as an offering. And when we lay ourselves down as an offering, a renewal begins to take place, and that renewal leads us to serve, and serve exactly where God has placed us. He's given each one of you gifts, and that is what you're called to do. We do that. And you know, serving isn't about you. How many of you guys work in the service industry? As a service industry worker, if it becomes about you, what then happens? Your tips go down. But when it's about others and how we serve, and that's just a small portion, think about this. As God has changed your mind that it's not about you and you begin to serve others, well, it's going to lead to something else, and that's what's found in 9 and 10. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. What's the second fiddle? Well, it's not the first fiddle. We know that. And that means it's not about you. Practice loving genuinely. As you move from service, you love genuinely. Loving genuinely means it's not about me. I'm not looking for anything in return. I am looking to love. And, you know, the crazy thing is, is in the movie, the, the girl feels like she's failed, and she's in her room, she's crying, and the dad comes in, and she says, I've failed. And she said, failed to do what? You haven't failed? She's like, I didn't change him. And he said, you can't change people. She said, well, what can you do? And he said, just love them. And that part of the movie made me go, whoa, that's it. We just love them. 
We just love them with genuine love, not so we can change them, but so that God can change them, so that God can work in their lives. See, this process begins to take place, offering ourselves first as a sacrifice, allowing him to renew our minds. We begin to serve. We begin to love genuinely. And verse 11 says this, don't burn out. Keep yourselves fueled in a flame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. Help needed Christians. Be inventive in hospitality. See, this will lead to diligence and perseverance because we live in an instant society and we say, well, I love genuinely and I served them, but it didn't work, so I'm done. No, it's something we have a process. It's a perseverance. We have to do it on a daily basis. We have to offer our bodies daily. We have to be renewed daily. We have to serve daily. We have to love genuinely daily. And these things begin to build. And that perseverance goes into verse 14 where it says, bless your enemies. No cursing under your breath. I want to pause right there for just a second and tell you about Walmart on 4th of July. Because at Walmart on 4th of July, I had to go get ice. And all the other places around were out of ice, so I had to go into Walmart. And the Walmart parking lot, I don't like going to Walmart anyway, but Walmart on the 4th of July is worse, okay? I get into the Walmart parking lot, and two different people blow stop signs and almost hit me. And I was a bit furious, and then I got even more furious when the girl who almost hit me stopped to yell out the window at me something that I was, I can't repeat right here, right now, but she was yelling out the window at me, and all I could think to myself was this, I'm going to get out of this car, I'm going to drag you from yours. I'm going to beat you. And I'm going to feel better about myself, and I'm going to leave the situation. Andy, would that have worked out well for me? Probably not. I'd probably be doing a live simulcast right now from the county jail. But it would have made me feel better about myself. I'll tell you that right now. The funny thing is, is that Paul's like, hey, guess what it's not about? You. I was wearing my Paragon Church shirt that day, so it actually probably saved me some time uh, behind bars. But the thing is, is that... We have to bless our enemies. How do we get to the point of thinking about that? Well, that process. We start off by offering our bodies a living sacrifice. We then let him renew our minds. We then serve. We then love genuine. We then persevere. And then it comes into where we bless our our enemies. No cursing under your breath. Laugh with happy friends when they're happy. Shed tears and share tears when they're down. Get along with each other. Don't be stuck up. Make friends with nobodies. Don't be the great somebody. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. It was very difficult to find that beauty. If you've got it in you. I like how he says that. If you've got it in you. Because that moment I did not have it in me. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of it. And what that is boiling down to is the next step in the process. And that is value community. Value each other. Value people in the church. Value people outside of the church. The color of skin, the occupation, the socioeconomic status, any of those things, they don't matter because we are all part of one race, and that is the human race, and we are all created by one God, and that changes the way we view things. See, there's this prevailing thought that is out there right here, right now, that says you're an accident, that billions of years ago something blew up, and you're a result of it now. If you're an accident, you don't value life because you're just an accident. And we see that prevailing thought throughout society. But if you believe like I do that God created me with a purpose, that while I was in my mother's womb that he knit me together, that I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made, it changes my view on my life and it changes my view on your life as well and the value of it. 
And it changes how we respond. And it looks at this, and we get to that point where we can value people for being people that were created by God. But if they are just an accident, we have a bad filter, and we see the results of it now. Verse 20 says, our scriptures tell us that if you see your enemy hungry, go buy that person a lunch. And if he's thirsty, get him a drink. Your generosity will surprise him with goodness. Don't let evil get the best of you. Get the best of evil by doing good. The final step of the life, the final step of this process is to model a life that is worthy of being called a Christ follower. To not overcome evil with evil, but instead conquer evil with good. How do we do that? See, I quoted from that book earlier, Crazy Love. It says, the world needs Christians who don't tolerate the complacency of their own lives. How often do we tolerate the complacency of how we live? How often is our life about waking up, doing our thing, going to bed, waking up, doing our thing, going to bed? That's not what Christ created us for. That is not why we exist. We exist to live a full life, and that full life is lived in Jesus Christ. See, our greatest fear should not be a failure, but instead of succeeding at things that don't really matter. How do we succeed at the things that do matter? It starts with that mindset. We have to live with a different mindset. We have to come, as, as the message version put it, we have to become so, I'm sorry, we can't become so well adjusted to our culture that, that we fit in without even knowing it. We have to make a difference. We have to go out there. It starts with a mindset. And that mindset is, do you believe that God has created you for a purpose? Or are you just an accident? Are you chasing and pursuing after God? Or are you chasing and pursuing after the wind? Because those are the two choices that we have. Which one are you doing? It's a question we have to ask ourselves all the time. It's a God filter, and he's changing the way we view things, or is it a me filter that's changing the way we view things? Which one is it? See, the God filter says pursue him. Are we doing that? This last week, uh, Corey and Micah ran into some people that, that Christy know, knew through Facebook, and it's an adoption group, and I was talking to a buddy of mine last night, kind of small world. He's like, oh, yeah, I know them too, but kind of a big deal in the adoption world. And these people, uh, they have three uh, biological kids, and they have seven adopted kids, all with special needs. People tell us we're crazy. They actually say, you guys are crazy. I can't believe you guys have three. I'm like, that's seven. Whoa. That's, that's, a, lot of, that's a lot of crazy. And, and uh, the, the, the thing is, is that when people say it to them, they respond with a way that that I liked how she did it. So actually, I, I took down her blog, and I want to I read you one. The blog is called, We Didn't Get the Memo. If you don't mind, I'm just going to read it to you here real quick. Friends, let me be perfectly frank. D.W., Dwight is her husband, and I didn't get the menu. Oh, sorry, the memo. Didn't get the memo, men, menu either. You know what memo I mean? The one that has been circulating for quite a few years now throughout Christianity and the Western world. That one that says our lives are our own and our reward for accepting Christ is a life of pleasure. The one that says we can pretty much do what we want as long as we do the Christian thing on Sundays and maybe attend a small group during the week. The one that says we can ignore the needs around us. The one that says it's really all about making ourselves and the Christians around us very comfortable. The one that says 
If you've been on a missions trip, then you're pretty much covered for life, you know, doing your humanitarian thing. The one that says during the days you can throw a token in the meter of life, and pretty much you've got that covered too. Better yet, throw some change in the Salvation Army container outside the store at Christmas and walk away feeling pretty darn good about yourself. Drop a check in the plate once a year designated for missions, and that's covered too. There is no doubt that we all need times of relaxing and refreshing and fellowshipping, but when the relaxing and refreshing is 99% of what we do in our spare time, then the picture is all wrong. Jesus set the example when he gave his life away. He spent entire days ministering to the poor, caring for the needs, healing those around him, praying, walking the streets and ministering freely, and telling them about the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. But here is what 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says about the end days. But mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying his power, having nothing, or sorry, have nothing to do with them. Yep, scripture's pretty clear. In the end times, men and women will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. If that doesn't describe today, wow. Me, me, me. The indulgence of pleasure, manicures, pedicures, travel, fashion, sporting events, shoes, massages, facials, purses, jewelry, straightening hair, perms, relaxing hair, hair extensions, follicle implants, color treatments, faceless, buttless, tummy tucks, fancy restaurants, and fancy cars. All aimed at making one feel good about themselves. In fact, here's a little test. If you and or your family are spending more money on pleasure than you are giving, then things are out of whack. Giving does not mean your tithe. Your tithe is a no-brainer. That's 10%. Giving means above your tithe. And each year, if your total of travel, manicures, pedicures, fashion, shoes, massage, facial, sporting events, purses, straightening hair, relaxing hair, perms, hair extensions, follicle implants, color treatments, fancy restaurants, hunting, fishing, golfing, boating, camping, skiing, rock climbing, fancy cars, is more than what you give above your 10%, then it's time to do some reevaluation. I am guilty. I am absolutely guilty of that. The real truth is, is that not one of those indulgences really do the trick because God's word is pretty clear. You want to feel good about yourself? Get out and do something for someone else with no earthly reward in store and meet a true need. Navel gazing just won't ever make anyone happy ever. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Parents today wonder why their kids are so ungrateful. Could it be that all they know is indulging themselves? How many parents have taken their kids on a real mission trip? How many parents are indulging themselves and their kids are watching it all take place? How many parents are griping about their pretty cushy lives and ignoring the vast needs all around, all while the kids are taking note? Gracious, even our, parent, or our pets have comforts, cushy comforts, while the rest of the world suffers in tragedy. Carmichael, who gave it all up to spend her life single, ministering to the precious gems of India. Gladys Alward, who moved across the world to a land she'd never been to before to minister to the treasure in China. Ornate Saint, who literally gave his life, martyred in Ecuador so the Aka Indians would hear Jesus. And then Rachel Saint, who, after her brother and others were murdered by the Aka Indians, went to live in the interior of Ecuador to minister to the same people who had murdered her beloved brother. Yeah. That's true giving. And really, folks, the change in the Salvation Bucket, or Salvation Army Bucket, it's a joke. In fact, our best is a joke compared to Nate, Rachel, Amy, and Gladys. What are we thinking? Our perspectives have been so skewed by the world. Sweet Jesus, help us. She goes on to say, and talk about 
how they didn't get the memo and how people call them crazy and what they really are. She wraps up with this. We can come to the conclusion that we only truly retire when we meet Jesus face to face. Everything in between, we pray, brings honor and glory to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the one and only true living God, maker of heaven and earth, the one we want the whole world to know is the miracle-working, mountain-moving, awe-inspiring, gasp-giving God. And so we press on with more determination than ever. We will give our lives away as best we know how, always praying that God breaks our hearts for the things that break His and asking Him to continue to get rid of any traces of selfishness in our hearts. You know what that is? That's crazy. It is straight up crazy. That kind of thinking, that kind of mentality. But the thing is, is when we look at the definition of crazy, the definition of crazy is this. Out of the ordinary, passionately preoccupied to an extreme degree. You know what that describes? It describes Jesus to me. He was out of the ordinary. He was passionately preoccupied with you and he was passionately preoccupied with me. And he was doing it to an extreme degree degree worthy or worth giving his life you want to know what the value of your life is you're worth one jesus to god that's a big deal and other people are worth one jesus to god god is moving me and he's moving you closer to him and he's changing us in the process to be just a little bit more crazy, to be just a little bit more out of the ordinary, to be a little bit more passionately preoccupied, to be a little bit more extreme to that extreme degree. See, it also says in that crazy love, if if life were stable, I'd never need God's help. Let me tell you about my life just for two seconds. It's chaos in motion on a constant basis. We spend our lives herding cats. I wouldn't change it for the world. God has called us to it. People call us crazy. I look at that group of seven and go, that's crazy. But that's what we're supposed to be because that's what God was. That's what God is. He's done things that are out of the ordinary, and he's called us to do it as well. My challenge to you today is to get a little bit crazy. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for your challenge in our hearts. Thank you for our challenge in our mind to get just a little bit crazy, to take those steps to move closer to you, to start by laying our bodies down as a living sacrifice, to allow you to renew our minds so that we can serve and serve in a genuine love. And in that, not get discouraged, but understand there's going to be perseverance that needs to take place. And in that perseverance, we're going to see true community begin to form. And we can see people for how you see them as your creation, not just some accident that is breathing in oxygen and breathing out carbon dioxide. That is not what we're about. We are here to live and live on purpose. And God, I pray you shake us today to wake up to that fact. That when we walk out of this door today, that God, we understand that you created us for more. That when we sing a song about surrendering, that we sing a song about laying my life down, when I sing a song that says, take my life and let it be all for you and all for your glory, that God, I actually mean it. I want you to take my life and let it be all for you. God, change us. Not for us to brag about how we've been changed, but instead to say God has changed us and brag about that fact instead, to give you the glory. Help us today to do that very thing. Pray in your name. Amen. I'm going to jump down here in the front. And if you're like me and struggle with that and need prayer, I would love to pray with you.
Because every day I wake up and I struggle. Is it about me or is it about God? And I pray that God reminds me. And sometimes he reminds me in a good way. And sometimes he reminds me in ways that I don't really like. But that's tough. It's not about me. So I'm going to be down here in the front. And I would love to pray with you about that. This message was pretty convicting to me. And uh, I think about the book of James and the first part of it. And he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. And you go, I'm going to pull a mat. What? You know, a mat does that for But you go, why would it be joyful when I'm facing these trials? Recently, I was speaking with a friend and talking about just what was going on in their lives and that it was a bit crazy and hectic and pointed to that particular passage and was saying that we should count it joy because it seems like until we face trials, God is just kind of just something we do when we feel like it or when we have time. So we count it joy because we get to be with God. He, he does these things and he allows these things because it just gets all that other stuff out of the way and just reminds us of what is really important and what really is life-giving and what really is, what gives joy in our life, true joy. And I think about others that talk about the book of Acts and we look at the New Testament and we go, what? wish that my life could have some of that. I wish that I could see the seas part, and I wish that I could see dead people rise and blind see again. And, and I'm just like, where is that today? And I'm like, it's there. We just don't have any space for it, right? Because our schedules are too packed. We have too many things to take care of. And all of those things, when they break down, we need to fix them keep everything that we have and there's no time or there's no area in our life where we really get stretched to have faith in God so when we face those trials count it joy because we get God we don't get his stuff we get him and I tell you it's, it's, it's a really cool thing to be able to see God come through and ways to need a bill taken care of and you have no means of taking care of it and all of a sudden an envelope comes in from the other side of the country and says hey God put you on our heart so we wrote this for you and it covers exactly what you need that stuff just mind-blowing and that's so minuscule compared to what our God can do so in this song surrender
because again, as purchased people, we don't have rights. We gave it up for the sake of glory when 